Tonight, we have started a series last week, um, A Promise of More. We're, we're dealing with this idea as we come into Easter that Easter is a promise of more. And we sometimes, we, we sort of started with this as we begin to talk about Easter. We begin to do the hard sell, don't we, as churches? And I'm, I'm guilty of this because I'm so excited about Easter. I so love what Easter represents that sometimes as Easter comes along, we, we so get caught up into this thing of what is Easter about and who is this guy who died on the cross and rose again that we begin to almost, I hate to say trivialize it, but we almost make it like one of the Ginzu knives on the late night television shows where they try to say, but wait, there's more. And we began to say, as we begin to look at our faith, there really is a promise of more. And sometimes there's a promise of more that it goes beyond what we're even thinking. And last week we began to look at this idea as Jesus came and the first sermon he preached, well, at least the first sermon, sermon that is recorded that he preached, he preached a sermon that dealt with the idea, the promise is that if you follow me, I will do something in your life and change your life. It's not simply a matter of give me, give me, give me. In fact, he says, I so want to do something in you that it actually changes the way you see, the way you act, the way you feel. Well, this, this morning, instead of looking at Palm Sunday, I'm going to actually go a little farther on to right before Jesus is crucified. Just as Passover is finished, Jesus gives his final sermon. And his final sermon is a little bit different than his first one that is recorded. Jesus' first sermon is recorded with crowds, noise, lots of people, action. And I imagine that as, as he preached that sermon, there was an excitement because this was something that was different than what was being taught around. But as he comes to his final sermon, it couldn't be anything but farther from his first. It's somber. It's quiet. Jesus is in that place of already preparing to head to Gethsemane where he's going to pray, Father, if there's any way I can get out of this, let me get out of it. But not my will. Your will be done. And so he sits in front of his 12 closest friends, his 12 closest followers. In fact, we're not sure whether all 12 are there or whether the one had already left. We're not sure whether Judas had already left by this time. But as he stops, he gives them his final sermon. And he begins to tell them, hey, there's something coming that I, 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 can't, I can't explain to you totally right now, but you will get it very soon. And as you begin to deal with this, there's something I need to give you. I need to give you one last promise. And he sits down and he begins to give them this final sermon. And as he promises them, he promises them something that today is just as real to us today as it was to those 12 disciples. Now, with that in mind, just, just hang on to that. And let that just sit there for a moment because I'm going to kind of jump to a different topic altogether. So to kind of hold on to this thought, here's Jesus. He's giving his final sermon. He's giving it to 12 different guys who he loves, and, and he's about to go to the cross. And now I want to talk about tools. I am notorious for getting something and putting it on the shelf. Um, 
a couple years ago, well, it's been more than a couple years, it's several years ago. I won't tell you quite how long because it makes me start feeling kind of old when I begin to talk about how long ago this was. But my mom and dad got me this newfangled saw for Christmas. Now, it's not so new and it's not, it's kind of commonplace today, but back then, it, it was an oscillating saw. So if anyone's ever seen an oscillating saw, it's like this little, it almost looks like a grinder sort of thing, but it's not a grinder. It's got this little flat blade and it's a little inch wide, basically, and it kind of just goes like this. That was kind of cool. I gotta be honest with you. I thought it was absolutely awesome at the time. And I played with it for about 20 minutes and sat it and pushed it on wood and see what it could do. And it was great. And then I wrapped it up, put it back in the box, and I stuck it on the shelf. And it sat there for a very long time. One day, uh, I was trying to do some tiling, and I got to the place, you know where the architraves come down and hit the floor? And I couldn't get the tiles up underneath that architrave. And then it kind of dawned on me, I got this little funny little saw thing that my dad bought me. I wonder if it would work. And I got it out, and I started playing with it. And it was the most amazing tool. That day changed my life. You see, that saw before that kind of looked yeah, it kind of looked fun. It looked interesting. But I mean, you can't really cut a two by four with it very easily. You can't rip down a sheet of plywood. It just sort of, it's a little inch wide. And I mean, what, what good is it? That day, as I pulled that little oscillating saw back out of its box and I got down there and I started trimming off the bottom of that architrave, I thought my life had changed forever. Now, why am I talking to you about tools on a Sunday that leads up to Easter? And trust me, I do not own shares in any company that makes oscillating saws. But I wish I did. The reality is, as we begin to talk about Easter, there is a promise that has been given to us that is a lot like my oscillating saw. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, this promise has already been given to you. But like so many things, like the tool that I had gotten, we kind of get it and say, that's neat, and we stick it up on the shelf. We know it's there. We kind of admire it once in a while and say, yeah, that's my little baby up there. I kind of enjoy having it. But we never put it to use. And so as we come to the Easter, as we're coming to this place where we're going to begin celebrating the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. I, I kind of think there's this promise that he gave to us right before his death that is so powerful that if we really got a grasp of it, it could almost change our lives. In fact, it's one of those things that is so well known that remember last week we kind of did the whole, you know, if we were going to put Jesus on the cell rack, we could kind of, you know hey, I got this man by the name of Jesus Christ, and we kind of went through the whole. Well, the fact is, it is one of those things that we could simply say, hey, he gave us this promise, and we, we all know it's there. But we kind of just stuck it up on the shelf, let it go dusty. And so this morning, as we begin to look at this, I want to look at what Jesus did as he sat there with his 12 disciples, giving them his final words, his final promise. What? Did he tell them? So if you got your, I was going to say if you got your Bibles, but if you want to just look up at the screen real quick, we're going to go ahead and look at what Jesus promised his disciples. And it's found in John's recording. John records this in John chapter 14. 
Um, and so we're going to read from verses 15 down to 18 and then down to verse 26. And he's responding, and as he's speaking to his disciples, here's what he says. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The promise that we have been given is that if we choose to follow him, if we choose to give our life to him, if we choose to say, Jesus, will you be my leader? Will you be my savior? That he would come and he would live with us and never leave us. And so I want to talk about that little promise just a little bit more because that little promise is almost like it's there and we know it's there. But we take that little promise and it's like we take it and you say, Jesus, I know you're always there. I know you're with me all the time. But we take it and we kind of stick it on the shelf and it sort of goes dusty. And we never really think about what that really means. So as my little cool oscillating saw came off the shelf and as I began to play with it, I began to realize there is so much more to that little oscillating saw than simply cutting off bottom of architraves. That little saw is absolutely brilliant for cutting dowels when you need to cut dowels in certain places. It's brilliant for cutting holes into gyp rock. I mean, it, I could just go on and on about the brilliance of that little saw. So small. Yes, it can never cut a two by four, but that saw can do more than almost anything you can imagine. To understand this concept that we have an advocate who is with us all the time is this idea of being able to pull out something that we need to hold on to. So I'm gonna just start real quickly. Before we look at this idea of what it means to have an advocate, I, I wanna kind of just hit to this idea. He is with us all the time. Okay, I, I just kind of wanted that, that sink in a second because there are times when something you've done, something has not worked out right, you had a plan in place and the plan kind of, kind of fell apart and it didn't work out according to the way it was supposed to. And inside, we're kind of left with that massive dark hole because, yeah, we've got friends around us, but they don't understand the depth of the loneliness and pain of where we find ourselves in. We have someone with us all the time. I'm gonna kind of push that a little farther. When you find yourself at that Christmas Eve party and thankfully Christmas is done, And you drank too much. You said some things you shouldn't have said. You did some actions you shouldn't do. And as you come through that fog on the next day and you begin to realize what you said, what you did, your friends are starting to kind of go, uh, I need to kind of put an arm's length between me and you. Your boss is saying, hey, I think we need to have a conversation. And your spouse is saying, I don't know what just happened. You have someone with you. 
in that darkest moment. Now, as we're talking about that, I want to back up. And the reason why I say that, because if we actually gain a grasp of what we're talking about, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, he promises to never leave you. When everything is kind of crumbling in, when everything is falling in, we have someone with us all the time. And so as we begin to think about it, what, what, well, what does that mean? That means, hang on, if we got a grasp of that, maybe that would have stopped and held us and maybe protected us before we got into that situation in the first place. If we realize the moment when we were beginning to drink a little more than we should be drinking that, hey, I have someone with me right now, maybe it would mean I would have put that back down and said, I need to stop. Maybe I don't need to go this way. Before I say what I'm about to say, if I realize I have my Savior with me all the time, before I let those words slip out of my mouth, I kind of bite my tongue. Before I do that action which is going to cause so much pain and regret tomorrow, if I realize I have that Savior, that, that, that guy who died on the cross, he, he's promised to be with me before I, if I can kind of say, oh, he's, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. You see, when we begin to realize exactly what that little phrase means, it can begin to before, yeah, I messed up, he's there. I'm hurt, I'm broke, he's, but maybe before I get there, if I begin to pull them off and take him off the shelf before I get to that point, it sometimes protects and prevents and holds back. You see, because that pulls us into this place. Who is with us all the time? In fact, the wording that he uses is he uses certain words and he begins with this idea. And I will ask the Father and he will send to you another advocate who will never leave you. That little word advocate is so strong and so powerful that that it is hard for us to translate that properly into an English translation. But it is so much bigger than what we kind of get. We kind of read over it like it's a, we have an advocate. That word, if you begin to look at it in different translation, it's translated in several different ways because there is no real good English translation for it. So if you read through different translations, you're going to hit words such as this. A helper will come. And I think this is a unique perspective because it deals with this idea of someone who is there in the midst of where I'm about to go who wants to guide and direct my steps. And so he begins to deal with this idea that with us we have a helper. Other translations will translate it like this. A comforter will come. In other words, it deals with this idea that when I'm at my lowest point, when I'm hurting, when I'm struggling, when, when the pain is getting into my heart and, and it's ripping me apart, I have a comforter who has promised to never leave me nor forsake me. Other translations translate like this. I will give you a counselor. In other words, he, he is there and he wants to guide us, not just to, to comfort us, but to give us wisdom. To help us make better choices, better steps. Yet other versions translate it like this. A friend who will never leave you. 
don't know about you, but I actually really love that idea. Sometimes I find myself in a place where it doesn't seem like anyone understands. My wife gets close, but sometimes there's things that are going on in my heart that I'm not even sure my wife fully understands, and yet we're told we have a friend who will never leave us. He's there. And yet I love the one we started with. He will give you an advocate. That word advocate is kind of an interesting word because it actually kind of deals with one who speaks legally for you on your behalf. It's like when you know a lawyer who is your close personal friend who at any moment at three o'clock in the morning, if you find yourself in a bind, you can call him at three o'clock in the morning and say, I got a situation. I don't know how to get out of this. And he's not gonna hang up on you and say, call me back at business hours. You see that kind of an advocate, the one who's willing to say, okay, here, let me speak for you. Let me be your representative. Let me be one who can advise you and guide you and help you on your next move. That word advocate, it has to do with almost like a legal term of having a personal lawyer. And the neat thing about this personal lawyer that we have is the judge is his father. It's that kind of mentality. We have an advocate. You have a promise of one who is there, an advocate, a friend, a counselor, a comforter, a helper. One who is there for you. Do you get that? You see, it's like that oscillating saw that we kind of stick up. We hear it. We know it. It's mine. Yeah, it's mine already. I know it. It's up on the shelf. If you were, if you were to talk to me about that oscillating saw, I could say, yeah, I have one of those. I can't even tell you where it's at. But we sometimes struggle to pull the concept off and to actually apply it into our lives. You see, the last promise that he gave to us was the promise that we would have an advocate, a helper, a counselor, a friend, a comforter who would never leave us. Where's your oscillating sight? In a sense, what have you done with that promise? Because when we take it and we pull it off the shelf and we begin to put it into my life, where do I use that at? Do I really see it in the middle of the day when I'm at work and I have this situation where this client is bugging the life out of me and continues to call me every five minutes and I don't know what to do? Do I, where do I go? What about when your neighbor begins to dump his leaves from his yard onto your yard? Worse than that, what if he lets his dog out to come a roam on your yard and not his yard, if you know where I'm going? Where do you do with that? 
Where do you go when you find yourself at a nine o'clock in the evening argument with your spouse and things aren't working out? Where do you go when you find yourself sitting in the hospital room looking at that diagnosis? What do you do? Do you say, yes, I have my oscillating thoughts sitting up there on the shelf? Man, that's a cool tool. We have this promise of a counselor, a friend, an advocate, a comforter who will never leave you. And I'm not saying it's an easy idea to simply, but to say, how do we pull that off of the shelf and begin to allow it to sink into my life? You see, Easter comes with this promise of more. Not just a home in heaven, but an advocate, one who will be with us and guide us. With that in mind, I want to reread this passage once again. And so he starts, and let's just kind of go through it with this idea. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father to give you another advocate, another friend, another counselor, another helper, another comforter. Someone there who's at 3 a.m. in the morning when I can't go to sleep. When I can't turn my mind off because the things are racing. There's moments I find myself in that spot. I don't know what to do about this. God, I need your guidance. I need your strength. I need your comfort. I'm worried. I'm scared. I'm lonely. And he continues, who will never leave you? At every barbecue and HOA meeting. He is the Holy Spirit who will lead into all truth. His goal is, is that we reflect truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. And I love that thought. I am not left alone. I'm not abandoned. I will come to you. But when the Father sends the advocate, the comfort, the helper, the counselor, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I've told you. Look, when it comes to Easter, we're not needing to look for another bigger, better promise. We're not needing some something more flashy, something more spectacular, something more powerful. As we come to Easter, we're not needing some better promise that is going to promise to fix every problem we ever have. We don't need another, another promise that is going to somehow make me earn more money. We don't need another promise that is going to somehow fix all the problems that I have in life because the promise we have been given is bigger than and better than that. As Jesus was getting ready to lay down his life as the final sacrifice, 
He promised his 12 closest followers and he promises us today, I will never leave you. I will be your advocate. I will be your friend. I will be your helper. I will be your counselor and your comforter. I will never leave you. In the midst of our brokenness, he's there. When we discover what that means, it begins to give us the strength to change our lives. The next time you're at a party and something's saying, hey, just let your hair down a bit. Well, what does that mean? What's that going to look like? Is this something I want Jesus to be a part of? Because one of the things we need to understand is that as we do these things, we are bringing him right along with us. The next time you look at someone and call them something other than brilliant, ask yourself, Is this what I should be saying to someone who Jesus loved, died for, and created? Because I'm about to cuss out the person who I take with me. The next time we want to take advantage of someone, Is this what I want Jesus to know and to see? Is this what he died for? Is this really where I want to take him? The next time you feel yourself lonely, scared, are you willing to pull that oscillating soft shelf? Or are you willing to stop and say, Father, I know you're there. Strengthen me, comfort me, give me guidance. The next time you find yourself having made a mess of a situation, bring back to remembrance. You have with you now someone who can lead you, guide you, counsel you, advise you, The next time you're not sure what you should be doing, ask a friend. You see, we don't need another tool. We don't need another promise. We need to take off what we have and cherish it and value it and use what has been given to us already. You see, Easter has promised us so much more. It is a promise of more. He's promised that if you choose to follow him, that he would change your life and that he will never leave you. It is a promise of more. Father, this morning, as we come, there are these moments
when we have the promise and we know the promise, most of us have heard it since we were children in Sunday school. We know it's there. We love it at certain times. We, we, we kind of pull it out and we kind of look at it and say, God, hey, thank you that you never leave me nor forsake me. But Father, I pray, help us not to put that promise on a shelf. For if we believe that you are with us, if we believe that you are our comforter, our guide, our lawyer, our helper, our friend, Lord, maybe it would stop us from doing some of the things that we find ourselves doing. We know, and and Father, I'm so thankful that even when we do mess up, you don't abandon us, you don't leave us. In the middle of our mess, you come in and you continue to put your arm around us. But Father, you want to protect us from those things from the start. You called us to live lives that were more than, greater than, bigger than. Help us to hold that promise close to our hearts. Allow that promise to consume our minds. Allow that promise to change the direction of our hands and our feet.